why would this man sitting on an airplane be in a body bag while his heart is still pumping? Quite strange. Why would any Jewish man with the last name Cohen think twice before taking a job in the World Trade Center or even visiting the memorial site? And why does this grave, tombstone, have two hands? What does this tell us about the individual buried here? Good afternoon, it's Rabbi Heshi, and it's time for Lunch and Learn, Tuesday at 12.15, where we will explore a Jewish topic using our source sheet with sources from Torah, from Talmud, and today's topic is the Kohen gene. We'll talk about the Kohen. This is an particular group amongst the Jewish people known as the Kohen, the Kohanim. Who are they? What is unique about them? And what do they have to teach us from their special duties, from their special status? A very fascinating topic and one with recent discoveries, the discovery of the Kohen gene. So welcome to Lunch and Learn Welcome Jody and Roy and Mark and everybody joining on live, those that will be watching later on. And hopefully after 60 minutes or so, we will emerge with a better understanding of what a Cohen is, what he's all about, and what kind of lessons can they inspire us with. As usual, we have a source sheet. Today's lesson is divided into four sections, as usual. And in each section, we will tackle or touch upon some of the highlighting the highlights of a Kohen. 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 Who knows a Kohen? Many people with the last name Kohen are indeed a Kohen, as in the status of a Kohen. Some famous Kohens are, were, Leonard Cohen from Canada, who had recently passed, I believe. Um, you have uh, Sasha Baron Cohen from England. Um, many others, the last name Cohen, and there are many others without the last name Cohen that are indeed a Cohen. In Jewish history, Ezra, the leader of the Jewish people, he was a Cohen during the Second Temple era. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they were Cohens. What made them a Cohen, and are there Cohens today? What is unique about them? Hello, Bob. Hello, Brian. Hello, everybody joining on, and we're going to jump right into today's lesson on this post. There is a link to today's source sheet. Otherwise, if you're on our email inbox, check your inbox for an email with today's source sheet. Prepared especially for today's lesson. I learned a lot of new things along the way preparing this class. So welcome and hello Hank. I hope you are all well. So let's jump right into our source sheets with our first section here. And that takes us to the holiday of Passover, probably the most celebrated holiday, when on the first night of the eight-day holiday here in the diaspora out of Israel, eight days in Israel, it's only seven days, the first night as well as the second night, we sit down for the Seder, just under three months ago, close to three months ago. And at the Seder table, we have the Seder plate. The Seder plate has the shank bone, has the egg. And what's under the Seder plate? Source number one tells us three whole matzos are placed under the Seder plate. 
Sometimes a Seder plate is a cloth. Sometimes it's a plate, an actual plate. Three whole matzos. The lowest one is referred to as Yisrael, Israel. The middle one as Levi or Levi, and the upper one as Kohen. A mystical reason why we have specifically three matzos, what they correspond to, are the three groups amongst the Jewish people. Yes, the Jewish people are divided into tribes, but more generally, they are divided into three groups. We have most of us who are Israelites, Yisrael. We come from most of the tribes, 11 out of the 12. Then you have the Levites, or the Leviim, or the Levi, who is from the tribe of Levi, the third son, the third of the tribes. And then unique, you have the Kohanes, which is even a smaller group, the Kohanes. So the Kohanes, the Levites, and the Israelites, which is most of us, and the three matzos at the Seder table correspond to the three groups of Jewish people. That is one example, hello Gary, where we find a reference to the three groups, many other areas. For example, Monday, yesterday was Monday, or on Thursday when the Torah is taken out during the morning services, the Torah is read, three men are called up to the Torah. Usually, if they are in attendance, the first will be a Kohen, the second will be a Levi, and the third will be an Israelite. All three representing each group of the Jewish people. So today we will focus in, not on the Israelites, not on the Levites, but on the Kohen, the Kohanes, who are the Kohanim. Kohen is one Kohen, Kohanim are many in the plural, many Kohanes. Who are they? And what are they all about? So the first section of today's lesson, we'll talk about who they are. Continuing with source number two. Bring near your brother Aaron. Hashem, God tells Moses in the book of Exodus, bring near your brother Aaron and his sons from among Israel to serve me as Kohanim. Bring them near, bring them closer to me, God says, from among Israel and even from among their own tribe of Levi, to serve me as Kohanim. So this has got to do something with God. The Kohanim are there to serve God as Kohanim. Aaron was separated to be sanctified as most holy. Anything closer to God is holy. A synagogue dedicated to prayer and worshiping God is a holier place than other places, like the Kota on the Western Wall. So they are separated from the rest of Israel to be sanctified as most holy, he and his sons forever. This is not just a story of three and a half thousand years ago when the first Aaron lived, but all of his sons and their sons and their sons for generations forever. And that's about a hundred to a hundred and probably between a hundred and a hundred and ten generations, the Kohens today from Aaron. And I'm sure you heard the story of a man, a very wealthy, successful individual who comes to his rabbi and says, Rabbi, I would really like to be a Kohen. And the rabbi says, I'm sorry, I can't make you a Kohen. You have to be a Kohen. Rabbi, I'm ready to pay $50,000 if you make me a Kohen. The rabbi says, it's not about the money. I cannot make you a Kohen. You have to be a Kohen. Rabbi, a million dollars. I'm sponsoring. I'm donating the new building. Finally, after being really pressed, the rabbi says, tell me, Sam, why do you want to be a Kohen? He says, well, my grandfather was a Kohen. My father was a Kohen. I also want to be a Kohen. So obviously, it's a funny story because being a Kohen, you don't have to do anything 
You just have to be born into the family of Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses, and anybody who is a descendant of Aaron is a Kohen. Now, not anybody that is a descendant, but a Ben Achar Ben, which means son, father, son, father, going back to Aaron. So if there's a daughter in the way, then the son would not be considered a Kohen, including myself. My mother's father is a Kohen. My mother's father is a Kohen, but because my father is not a Kohen, and neither was his father, so I am not a Kohen. My cousins are Kohens. My uncle, my mother's brother, he carries the kahuna, the priesthood, and he carries that on to his sons. But once his daughters will marry, if they don't marry another Kohen, they will no, their children will no longer be a Kohen. So it's passed down patrilineally. So anybody... As we see directly in source number three, the lineage of the offspring follows the male, his father. This is the case with regard to the daughter of a priest. Priest is another word for Kohen. Priest is someone who serves in a religious um, position. Or the daughter of a Levite. Or the daughter of an Israelite who married a priest, a Levite, or an Israelite. So if the daughter of a priest, marries an Israelite, then the children, the sons, will be Israelites, even though she herself is the daughter of a Kohen. But if the son of a Kohen marries anybody, his kids will still be Kohens because it follows the patrilineal descent. And which is interesting because Judaism is, pat- Judaism is patrilineal, even though Jewishness is matrilineal. So, those that say, why do we always follow the mother? It's not true. In Jewish law, we do indeed, at times, follow the father. So, Jewishness, if somebody is identified as a Jew, that would go by the mother, if the mother is Jewish, or of course, if they converted, according to Jewish law. But what specific group they belong to will follow the father's status. So, if the father is a Kohen, then the children will be a Kohen. And it's interesting why, without getting too delved into it, this is what the Torah tells us, but perhaps you can explain it in that the mother is more involved in the existence of the child. The mother spends much more time developing the child itself, giving birth to the child, nurturing the child, feeding the child, and usually until they are grown up, the mother is more the one involved with the existence, the healthy existence of the child, sustaining them and so on, nurturing them. And therefore, it's the mother that gives the child their existence, who they are, if they are Jewish or not. Whereas the father is more out there, at an assignment, the father at, 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 um, as his, gives the child what his role is, what's his job, what's, he, what's his specific mission. That's more the father's area of expertise. And that's what they give to their child. Now that they have their existence from their mother, who they are, now what particular job are they going to do? Are they going to be the Kohen job, the Levite, the Israelite? So that gets from the fathers. So that's maybe the mystical idea. But halachically, if somebody is a male, descend a male, 
line descendants of Aaron, HaKohen, Aaron the high priest, then they are a Kohen. So no matter how long later, as the verse says, forever. So my grandfather, my uncle, my cousins, and many others, if you know Rabbi Manus Friedman, very famous, he is a Kohen, and he is a direct descendant of the first Kohen, the older brother of Aaron, of Moses, whose name was Aaron. Now, you may have heard of Jackie Mason. He likes to say some of my jokes. <laughs> Jackie Mason, his real name was Yaakov, Jacob, and his last name was not Mason, but Mazah, Meza, which in Hebrew is spelled Mizah, which each letter is an acronym for a word, Mizera Aharon HaKohen, from the seed of Aaron the priest. Many Kohens have that last name, Maza, because their family, excuse me, would want to remember and always remind themselves that they are from the Kohen family. On the other side, my father's mother's father was a Kohen. So my grandmother's maiden name was Aharonov, Aaronov. Sounds like Aaron. Aaronov, probably in Russian, means the son of Aaron. Aaronson, any kind of name like that. Aaronberg, maybe, Aaronberg, or something like that, derives, perhaps, from Aaron. Well, in my case, my great-grandfather was a Kohen, and that would make sense why he would have the name Aharonov, even though Jewish last name, well, last names in general are only a few hundred years old, but they chose this name because they were Kohens. Okay, so now we know who a Kohen is. Let's move on to source, source number four, which is actually the source in the Torah that we follow the father, take the sum of all the children of Israel by families following their father's houses. When God tells Moses to count the Jewish people, they were counted according to their tribe. Now, what decides which tribe they are a member of? Jacob had 12 sons, and all these sons had many families, many descendants. So they intermarried one tribe into another tribe. So what do you do if one's father is from one tribe, the mother is from a different tribe? Which tribe are they counted amongst? So the Torah says, God decided following their father's houses. If one's mother was from another tribe, he is counted with his father's tribe. He is considered a member of the tribe of his father. And that is where he would live in the territory in Israel. The land of Israel was divided, portioned according to one portion per tribe. And he would live with his father's tribe. So once again, a Kohen is somebody whose father's 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 father, going back 100 generations, 3,300 years, to the first Kohen, Aaron, Aharon. Now, source number five tells us that it was not always clear who was a Kohen. And as we'll see, the Kohen had duties in the Holy Temple. In order for those duties to be kosher, it needs to, and had to be performed by a Kohen, a authentic Kohen. And sometimes confusion happens. Someone thinks they're a Kohen or someone thinks they're a kosher Kohen. And therefore, the high court, source 5, would examine the lineage of the priests. They had a special room in the temple where the Sanhedrin, the high court, they were experts in genealogy or figuring out who was indeed an authentic Kohen, a father, 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 going back to Aaron. 
And nowadays, we don't have that, but when Mashiach will come, during the era of the Messianic king, he will purify the lineage of the Levites first, stating he is a priest of defined lineage. Nowadays, we have some Kohanes who can actually trace their family tree back to Aaron or back to a very known, well-known, established Kohen. We know someone worked in the temple. We knew that the high court did a good job, so we can rely on that. Or there are some certain families that are just established that they are a Kohanic family. My family has a tradition that before the war, they had a, their last name was Friedman, and they had a McGill, like a um, kind of document with all the names of the generations going back to Aaron, the high priest. So our family, I guess my mother's family, my uncles and cousins claim that they have a established tradition, that they are indeed Kohens. Other Kohens, or probably most Kohens today, just have a tradition. And we assume this is what is the tradition of their family. They were always taught and passed down that they are Kohens. So we assume that they are indeed a Kohen. Some people are not sure, you know, so much happened, so many wars, things were lost, and families were separated or wiped out, so not all is clear. So every case, if someone doesn't indeed think they might be a Kohen, there can be ways to try and figure this out. But many families have a tradition that they are a Kohen. Having the last name Kohen does not suffice, as we will soon see, but... Source number six tells us that at least once a year, every Kohen should do something that confirms his priestly status, such as accepting the priestly dues that we'll talk about later, if he cannot deliver the priestly blessing, which is another duty that a Kohen would do. So at least once a year, then try and keep up some sort of Kohanic tradition to keep this knowledge and this status going, that he should be known as a Kohen, as he's doing the rites of a Kohen, the rituals, the things that only Kohanes do. Now, in recent history, about 25 years ago, I believe in the late 90s, 97, 98, there was a professor, Dr. Carl Korolecki, I believe his name was, who teamed up with another Jewish scientist, I think he was Jewish, Michael Hammer, and... Together, they detected, they discovered a Kohen gene, which means they surveyed and they took samples, cheek samples from um, many Kohens, many families that claim to be a Kohen, and they found that if all Kohens are patrilineal descendants of Aaron, that they must contain some kind of common genetic marker in the Y chromosome, which we receive from our fathers. So if every Cohen has a father who comes, his father, his father came from Aaron, they all must share some common kind of genetic order. And they did identify a Cohen gene. I think it's 98 or 99 percent of people who identified as a Cohen possessed in their DNA, and there's different DNAs, I'm not a geneticist, if that's the word, um, but some kind of, I think they called it CMH, Cohen, something, um, I'm not even sure myself, hap, hap, uh, haplotype, 
uh, but something which oh, almost every Kohen that identified, they surveyed and they took uh, samples from came up as having this common genetic marker. And that is amazing because that showed and he, his uh, findings and he published it in the major medical journals in the late 90s and since then they've been doing more resource re- research you can check it up the Cohen gene which basically proves that all of these people that are claiming to be Cohen or at least a very large vast amount almost 100% are indeed male patrilineal descendants of Aaron of this man that lived about 3000 years ago that's what his study is showing it's about 106 generations and it all matches it all makes sense but what it tells us is something fascinating. Now, this Cohen gene does not suffice if someone takes a test and does have this. That does not mean that they are indeed a Cohen, halachically. And if a Cohen does not have it, does not mean that they are disqualified. Without getting into the details, why? Because there are ways that the Cohen status does not continue on to their children. And just like the last name Cohen, it could be just decided that he likes the last name or it could be he took his mother's last name and couldn't be for, for whatever reason. We'll see maybe soon that they can lose their Cohen status. But what it tells us is that out there, the professors, they will, they, there are all kinds of studies out there and they say that a certain percentage or varying between uh, probably 10 and 30% of assumed fathers are not really the biological father. Things happen. And although the father might think that this is his child, but it's not always the case. It's not always the case. It's just a fact. At least this is what their DNA testing tells us. But here we have 3,000 years plus 10, over 100 generations of Kohens, and all of them possess the same genetic marker in the Y chromosome and the non-coding uh, DNA, indicating that they are all the true father of the sons. Each son was indeed the son of his father. If he was the son of some other guy, which was not a Kohen, whom the the mother had an affair with, then the son would not inherit, would not have that DNA. So here we see an example of a Jewish family, a Jewish particular group amongst the Jewish people. Source number seven, generation after generation of Jewish women were faithful to their husbands and their tradition. What a proud record of fidelity. Jewish marriages throughout history are a model for all humanity. Paternity, certainty. That's what it's called. The here you have 98 or more percent. And they could all, taking a DNA test, prove that they are, for generations, the son was indeed the son of his, the person who he thought to be his father. And if you go and Google, you'll see that it's not always the case in the general population. Okay. 
That's our first section. So who is a Kohen? A Kohen is a direct descendant of Aaron through their father's side. And many people will have that last name if they are from the Kohen family. Kohen, Kahana, Kahana is in Aramaic for Kohen, Kahanov, Katz. Katz is in Hebrew, Kaf Tzadik, which is an acronym for Kohen Tzadik, a righteous Kohen. Katzmin, Katzaf, Katz and Ellison, many names with Cohen, Khan, Khan, Connor maybe, uh, you can let us know. Kaplan is another famous Jewish name. Kaplan is something like a, a leader, a chaplain. Kaplan, Rappaport is a very famous Jewish name. I believe Shapiro, if I'm not mistaken. There are many families which are known to be Kohens. Many freedmen, it's not all, but many freedmen families are Kohens. And of course, many, many others. Let's move on to our next section. Now we know who a Kohen is. And it's probably not just the Kohen family that has such fidelity uh, between husband and wife, but that probably is telling about all Jewish families and many other families out there that are that can say with certainty that their children are indeed children of both the mother and the father. Any questions, you can feel free to post in the comments. Let's move on to our next section. Now that we know who a Cohen is, what exactly does this Cohen do? What is their job? What are they singled out? What are they separated for? Source number eight. You and your sons shall keep your kahuna in all matters concerning the altar. So for many hundreds of years of our rich Jewish history, the Jewish people had a temple, we had a mishkan with an altar, and there were sacrifices, and there was all kinds of stuff going on in the temple. Who were the ones performing, running the temple, performing all of the karbonos, the sacrifices? Source number not eight tells us that you and your sons, Aaron and his sons, they were the ones that were that were keeping all the matters concerning the altar. And any outsider who approaches shall die. Pretty strict. It was the Kohens and only the Kohens. We'll learn another time about the Levites. They were assisting the Kohens in certain tasks, but generally it was the Kohens. They were the ones spritzing and sprinkling that blood on the altar and offering the uh, the stuff, the, the offerings onto the altar. They were doing the services of the temple, keeping up the temple, cleaning the temple, guarding the temple, all the stuff going on in the temple, making the showbread, the menorah. Those were the Kohen's jobs. And that's really what Kohen means, literally. Ko, the expression of Kehuna denotes service. A Kohen means to serve. In modern Hebrew, the word is used as somebody who fills a position and serves lechahen. He who kihen he served as the rabbi. Who kihen uh, you know like the rabbi. Kihen kohen kohen means to serve because that's what a kohen's job is. He served in the temple. Now, even today we don't have a temple. They still have a status, as we'll soon see. But during temple times, source nine, it is a mitzvah to distinguish the priests for the sacrificial service. Now, King David divided them into 24 watches, 24 shifts. A watch would ascend to Jerusalem to serve for the entire week. 
The head of every watch divides his watch into clans so that each clan will serve on one of the days of the week. So there were not enough jobs in the temple for all the coins. You know, there were millions and millions and millions of Jews living in Israel at the time. The temple was big, but there was not enough jobs for every coin. So King David divided them into 24 groups, 24 large family groups. And every week, another shift was responsible to go up to Jerusalem from wherever they were living around Israel and do the service. That group subdivided their group into seven parts, one per day of the week. And every smaller family had a chance basically twice a year or so to serve in the actual temple. What were they doing the rest of the time? There were other duties for Kohen's. Source number 10, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, this is how you shall bless the children of Israel. They shall bestow my name upon them every day with upraised hands. So the Kohen's were given a special mitzvah to act as God's agents to bless the Jewish people on a daily basis. And this is why on graves of the direct male descendants of Aaron, there will be hands, because that is the traditional way how the Kohen positions his hands when blessing the Jewish people. Putting the two hands together, making spaces between the fingers, and we can talk about that another time, all the details of this beautiful mitzvah of blessing the Jewish people. In Israel, and today here, amongst the Sephardic community, this is done every day. In Ashkenazi communities, in Ashkenazi custom, here out of Israel, it is only done on the holidays. So Passover, Shavuot, Sukkot, Simchas Torah, uh, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur, those are the days that it is performed. Here is how it is done at the Western Wall. The Kohens are covering their heads and their hands. You can see their hands poking out. They're holding their hands up, divided, and that is how this mitzvah of blessing the Jewish people takes place. So them, are they are sort of God's workers. We're all God's workers, but they were full-time, maybe God's workers in a apparent way, working in the temple, being God's agents to bless the Jewish people. And really, not just that, source 11, they shall teach your ordinances to Jacob and your Torah to Israel. These are Moses, Moses's, the words of Moses, blessing the tribe of Levi, which includes the Kohanes, before his passing, telling them that they are to be the teachers, the mentors of the rest of the people, teaching them Torah. Since they do not have to earn their living from farming, they have the time to study and teach all of these laws. It is a mitzvah for there to be priests and Levites in the supreme Sanhedrin. So as we'll see later, most of the, all the tribes, besides the tribe of Levi, they were farmers. They worked the land. It was an agricultural society. Everybody had their lot. They had their chicken pen and they had their fields that they planted and their orchards. And that was life. Besides the tribe of Levi, including the Kohanes, they did not own their own land. They were gifted lands, but they did not work the land. And therefore, they had more time on their hands to study Torah. And they were the teachers. And that's why, in the Supreme Court, the High Jewish Court, many of them were Kohens, were Levites, because they were 
the leaders, the mentors, the teachers, the guides, the spiritual guides for the Jewish people. That was their role. Source 12, another thing where we see a duty of a Kohen, which has a beautiful lesson for us. Be cautious regarding the lesion of Tzara'at. Tzara'at. Tzara'at is a spiritual ailment which had a physical manifestation that during biblical times or temple times, somebody who deserved it uh, for gossip or other things would get a ailment, a skin condition, something like leprosy, blotches on their skin. Sometimes it could have been on their clothes or on the walls of their house. And there are various rules if indeed this person becomes ritually impure. Depends on the coloring exactly. It depends on the hair coloring. It depends if it spreads or it shrinks. We're on the body. Many, many details. And that is described in the middle of the book of Leviticus. It's called Tzara'at. does not happen today. If indeed the person was impure, they were banished from the Jewish camp. They needed to be isolated just as they brought division between man and his friend through gossip. They needed to be isolated outside of the camp um, for an extended period until they were healed. Who was the one that was pronouncing the person pure or impure? It was only the Kohen. Source 12 continues, Be cautious regarding the lesion of Tzaras, according to all that the Levite priests instruct you. The priests are the ones. Impurity and purity come about only by the pronouncement of a Kohen. So even if there's a great rabbi, a great judge, a very learned and wise man, very pious, and he says, according to the law, this lesion is impure. The person is not impure. He's not rendered impure until a Kohen, a the direct male descendant, patrilineal descent from Aaron, Proclaim pronounces impure, impure. Only a Kohen. And when he becomes impure, in order for him to be purified, it needs to be a Kohen. Why so? Why does the Torah choose the Kohen? The Kohens are unique that being descendants of Aaron, they are a very kind breed. Going back to the first Aaron, who we just studied, we're studying now in this week's Torah portion, Aaron passes away in the desert, before they enter Israel, and all of the Jewish people mourn him, even more than Moses. They mourn him for 30 days. The men, the women, they all loved Aaron. Why? He was a very loving, compassionate, caring person. Source number 13, the Mishnah tells us, be of the disciples of Aaron, loving peace and pursuing peace, Loving one's fellow creatures. He's a very loving person. The terminology is creatures. Why creatures? In Hebrew, briot. Bria means creation. Briot, creations, creatures. He just loved the creations. Why that? Why not humans? Why not Jews? Why not uh, friends, people, nation? Even those who were devoid of any merit, only the fact that they were God's creations. Their only redeeming factor was the fact that they were created by God. They had no achievements. They had nothing about them 
otherwise that had something loving about them. All they had was that they were a creation of God. And Aaron was able to recognize that. And despite his lofty position, being the Kohen, the high priest actually, brother of Moses, he was able to relate to every Jewish person. He pursued peace and he loved them just for the fact that God created them. They're a creation. And that itself suffices to earn his love and care. Not because they're cute, not because they're smart, and not because they are beneficial in any way. Just because they're a human being, a creature created by God. Aaron, Aaron's descendants inherited this trait. And Kohens are known to be Ish HaChesed, the man of kindness. And that is precisely why the Torah chooses and appoints the Kohen and only the Kohen to be the one to render a Jew ritually impure and having to have to isolate and be banished from the Jewish camp. And you can imagine what kind of spiritual significance that is for a Jew to be ostracized. Only a Kohen. Why? Source 14. Imbued with this love for their compatriots, the priest will make all efforts to ensure that the law indeed requires them to pronounce the sufferer defiled. Before doing so, before doing so, they would do anything, make sure that it's actually absolutely required. And to do whatever it takes to declare them undefiled at the earliest possible opportunity. Placing a Jew in the status of impurity and having to be banished from the camp, that is very severe. So the Torah says it has to be done sometimes in order for the person to learn a lesson and be cleansed. But the Kohen will be the one. Because the Kohen will do so only if it is absolutely necessary, being that he is such a kind person. But this teaches us a lesson. How we should view every creature as a creation of Hashem. And if we find, if we identify, if comes to our attention a, a negative character trait in a person, we have to think, before I render, before I label, before I send this guy flying, am I like a Kohen? Am I infused with brotherly love for this person? Or is my view skewed? Is it not so genuine? And if not, then let's not label another person the Torah tells us it's the Kohen's job. It should come with love. Sometimes it's painful and somebody needs to be put in their place, but it should, do, it should be done with a Kohen gene, with a Kohanic kind of method, with love, with purity, coming out of genuine care for that individual. We move on to our next section. and let's pick up the pace here. So we can finish up. Now that we know the duties of the Kohen, let's talk about the holiness and somewhat maybe restrictions of the Kohen. Just as the Jewish people in general are called a Am Kadosh, a holy nation, meaning that we are more designated and there are certain restrictions because the more holy or 
maybe you want to say important a person's position is, then there are more restrictions. If somebody is going up to the moon and is being an astronaut, then there are lots of things you got to train for. You can't eat what you want, you can't dress how you want. If you're a soccer player, you want to be fit because if you're in this position, you got to be ready and you got to be fit to fill this position. So Jewish people have more restrictions maybe, but that is enhancing their performance of their unique mission. A Kohen, being that he has a unique mission, they have more restrictions in order for them to be fit for their job. But it comes as a result of their elevated status, their holy status. As the Torah repeats time and time again, that they have an elevated status. Let's move on to our third section, which begins with the special clothing that the Kohen would wear while performing the service in the temple. A set of clothing. A set of clothing or four articles was a long robe, shorts under, a belt, and a hat. As the Torah tells us, source number 15, you shall make holy garments for your brother Aaron for honor and glory. This was their uniform while they were doing the service in the temple. Now, what kind of lesson does this have for us? We're not a Kohen, but this can teach us a lesson. When they would come close to God in the temple, they had to wear this special uniform, a special set of clothing. Now, clothing, clothing can really be inconsistent with our inner dimension, our inner feelings. Clothing, actually in Hebrew, is called a beged, which also means to betray. Bagad. If a woman or husband betrays their spouse, it's called begida, which is the same word as clothing, because clothing could betray who you really are. You can be an actor in a play. You know the story of the... of the little boy that comes home and says to his Jewish mother, that I was chosen to be an actor in the school play. And the mother says, well, what's your role? And the boy says, well, I'm going to be the Jewish husband. The mother says, you go right back to your teacher and tell her that you want a talking part. Okay, nothing against the, the Jewish wives. So you can dress up in a play as somebody who you're not. Somebody can dress up as a mourner and they're really not. Someone could dress up as a pauper if they're really rich, or they dress up rich if they're really poor. They can dress up like a like a man or a woman. You can you can dress up when it can betray how you really are inside. So you might say that clothing is superficial. However, the Kohen is instructed to wear clothing because the clothing can also impact us. They can influence our behavior, our moods, our feelings. You want to dress in a certain way when you want to not just be comfortable, but your dress can have an impact on how you feel. And therefore, the Kohens wore special clothing, reminding them of their special status. And really, each one and each and every one of us, just like we have clothes, physical clothes, which we can put on and take off and change, 
so too our soul, our neshama has clothes. And the Kabbalah talks about how we have three clothes. We have our thoughts, our speech, and action. These are three things that we can always change. We, can, we have control over what to think. We have control over what to say and what to do. And although we may think that clothing is superficial, but when we come before God, just like the Kohen had to wear special clothing, in order for us to come close to God, let's see at the end of source 15, the garments represent thought, speech, and action. The metaphorical garments of the soul, because they can be, they're not the, et, the essence of the soul, and they can be changed, like we can change our clothes. But to come close to God, we should focus on positive garments, even if those garments are a betrayal of our internal feelings. So I don't really feel like putting on tefillin. Put it on anyways. And the more we put it on, that will have an impact on our neshama, on our inner workings. We're not in the mood of giving charity. Give charity anyways. You, you feel like inside you're burning mad? Put that feeling aside and in your thought, speech, and action, act as if you're nice, as if you're happy to see that person. Put on a smile. And the more you train, we train ourselves to do in the clothing, to wear clothing of holiness, that will slowly but surely have an impact on our internal feeling. Keep giving charity, you'll start to develop a liking and a kindness inside of you. So that is what the Kohens had to do, wear these special clothings. Source number 16, a restriction for a Kohen. Speak to the Kohanim, let none of you defile himself for a dead person among his people. A Kohen is forbidden to enter a house where a person is close to death. Wow. So here is something unique. A dead corpse, a dead body, emanates impurity. Impurity, spiritual impurity. It's not something we can touch and feel, but it's an impurity. If somebody touches a dead body, then they become ritually impure. They are forbidden to enter the temple, eat certain sacrifices, and they have to be sprinkled with the ashes of the red heifer the third day and the seventh day. And after seven days, they immerse in a mikvah. It's a whole procedure. Nowadays, we don't have this. Most of us go to a funeral and uh, come in close contact with a dead body and we're ritually impure until Mashiach comes. But a Kohen is restricted from becoming impure, even nowadays. He's not allowed to put himself in a situation where he becomes spiritually impure. So he cannot be a member of the burial society touching bodies. He cannot even... There are different ways that impurity is imparted. One is through touching. One is through carrying, even if it's not direct touch. And one is through being under the same roof, under the same tent, under the same enclosure, in the same room. Well, it doesn't have to be only in the same room. If two houses are connected and there's a window or there's the roofs are attached and the impurity can travel from one room to the next room. And these laws are from the most complex laws in Jewish law, how impurity, tuma spreads from place to place. So for example, as we just read, a Kohen would be forbidden to enter into a uh, hospital room or a house where there is somebody who is on the, on his deathbed or her deathbed and 
if he is entering into the room, he might the person might die, and then he will be in the same room as the dead person. Then he will become ritually impure, and that would be a prohibition for him. So he needs to avoid such situations. And that takes us back to the World Trade Center, because if there are remains of dead bodies here, then a Kohen would be, at least possibly, forbidden from having an office or visiting these grounds. I believe that it is permitted because the rabbis looked into it and figured out that it's done in a certain way and that would be okay. Um, or visit a cemetery. A Kohen cannot visit a cemetery unless he stays six cubits, six feet, I mean, four cubits away from the graves, unless there is a gate. So here is a picture of the Rebbe's grave, and you see there's gates going along the pathway. And that way, even though there are graves right near the pathway within six feet, a Kohen can enter because the gates are dividing the Kohen and the graves. As long as they don't get really too too close, that's okay. As well as around the actual grave inside this, you'll see there's a very thick wall around the graves. And the roof is open because if the roof was closed, then that would be a problem. So a Kohen visiting a museum where there are body parts, a body museum or where there are mummies or a hospital from the morgue, that can pose a question. And there are ways where it can be avoided, like in Israel, where there are many Jewish people, they build hospitals, or at least some hospitals, in a way that the morgue is sealed off and there is, there's no transmission of the impure impurity emanating from the dead bodies into the common areas. Flying on a plane, getting back to our picture, which we began with, might be an issue because if the plane route is flying over a cemetery, that might pose a, a, a problem for a Kohen. Now, I think there are some routes that, especially like El Al in Israel, will deviate and go around the cemeteries. But at least my understanding is that that would not generally pose a problem for a variety of reasons. Um, haven't looked into it enough. Another issue might be with traveling on an El Al plane or a pl plane to Israel where in the baggage compartments there might be a body that's being flown to be buried in Israel. That's a very common practice. People like to be buried in Israel. Being in the same plane. So I believe El Al, the flight out of Newark, do not contain dead bodies. That would be okay for a coin. Or I believe they do build their compartments in a way that it is sealed properly, that the impurity would not be transmitted to the patient, to the passenger area. Those are just some example examples. A coin going to medical school would pose an issue because they are dealing with bodies that need to be. Uh, I haven't been to medical school, but I, I cadavers, and that can be an issue. It can be possibly permitted, but with the guidance of a competent rabbi. Moving on to another restriction for a Kohen, I'll oh, continue with source number 17, except for his wife, his mother, 
his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, and for his vir- virgin sister who is close to him, he shall defile himself. It is a mitzvah for him to do so. So for close relatives, not grandparents, but direct relatives, a spouse, parents, children, a sibling, then he would be permitted, and not just permitted, but a mitzvah for a Kohen to attend the funeral and be involved with the mitzvah of burying his close relative. Another restriction, source 18, they shall not marry a woman who is a zona or a chalala or divorced from her husband, for he, the Kohen, is holy to his God. I didn't make the rules. This is God's rules. A Kohen is extra holy, represents God in a certain way, and therefore he has restrictions who he can marry. Who is a Zona? A woman with whom an Israelite who is forbidden to her has cohabited. A Chalala is a woman who is born from one who is unfit for the Kahuna. So, just in short, because I see the clock is ticking, uh, a, a Kohen would be restricted from marrying a woman who had relations with a man who is forbidden to marry her. So, if a woman has relations while being married, for example, she's a married woman and she has an affair with another man, so that woman, even if she later gets divorced, she cannot go ahead and marry a Kohen. Because this woman is called a Zona. She had a illicit relation relations with a man she's not allowed to be married to. At the time when she was intimate with him, she was not allowed to be married to him. So that would make her a Zona. She, a Kohen would not allow to be married that, to that woman. Another woman who we can't marry is a grusha, a divorced woman. Because if she's a, if she was married before, so she, and then she gets divorced, a Kohen would not be allowed to marry to a grusha, a divorced woman, as well as a halala. Halala is, let's say a Kohen does marry someone who he's not allowed to marry. If he married a divorced woman, and then they have a child, so that child, son or daughter, is a halala a disqualified kind of Kohen. They lose their Kohen status, the, chi- the child. So a Kohen cannot marry a woman who is born from such a union. Included in this is a convert. A Kohen cannot marry a convert. And a Kohen cannot marry a Chalutza, which means that, uh, we talked about it last week, if her husband passed away without her having children, and her husband's brother is supposed to perform the levered marriage. He doesn't want to, so she, he performs a chalitza. He does this kind of ceremony where she removes his shoe. So she would also not be permitted to marry a kohen. Now, in a case, there, there are many stories about this because it's difficult for a married woman, uh, a man who was who was divorced, and he's looking to marry somebody. Usually, or very often, he'll marry, he'll remarry a woman who who was also divorced before. And if a Kohen, if he's a Kohen, that would pose a real problem. In an ordinary couple, if they get divorced, they could always remarry. If none of them, if the woman did not marry someone else in the meantime, but if it's a Kohen, he can, once he divorces his wife, he cannot remarry her because she's a divorce. She's divorced. So, interesting stories. One story that uh, is told that uh, a man, a Kohen, comes to the Rebbe and he says he would like to marry uh, this woman and he's a Kohen. What should he do? 
So the Rebbe tells him, ask your mother. Turns out that he asked his mother, it turns out that he was adopted. So he was not really a Kohen. His uh, adopted, his father who raised him, adopted father, father was was a Kohen. And therefore he assumed that he is a Kohen, but he wasn't really a Kohen. Therefore he was permitted to marry her. So sometimes it's important to just do the research to maybe to make sure that they, this person is indeed an authentic Kohen. That is not to be taken lightly, obviously, if a, person, a family has such a tradition, but to make sure that a person is indeed a Kohen. Um, another option might be if the woman who was divorced was not married before properly with a chuppah. If she was not properly married with a kosher witnesses, then she's not considered a divorced woman. A divorce means that she had a get, that she was married with a chuppah, kosher marriage, and kosher witnesses, and you know, very religious ceremony, and then she was divorced with a get, with a religious bill of divorce, and then... That would be so. That can be another thing to uh, obviously with the guidance of a competent rabbi. Another man who came to the Rebbe with this complaint, the Rebbe told him, pointed to all the books in his study, and says, "I envy you because if I study all the books, or maybe he said I studied all the books in this room, and I cannot achieve the level of holiness which you have as a gift just from being a male descendant directly from Aaron." So yes, there are some restrictions, but it comes along and it's a result of a very holy status. Source number 19, one interesting mystical explanation specifically for a convert might be, the holiness of a convert is the exact opposite of the coins. It is completely earned. Not to say there's anything wrong with a divorced woman. There's absolutely nothing wrong. We have relatives that are divorced and they're very fine people and friends and it sometimes happens, and sometimes it's nothing to do with the woman, and sometimes it just doesn't, doesn't didn't work out. But this is the Torah's restriction, and the same thing is nothing wrong with a convert. The convert cannot marry a Cohen, but you know what? Joshua, the successor of Moses, married a convert, and King David, and and uh, was it King David or or, or uh, Boaz, uh, married Ruth, the great grandmother of King David. So there's nothing wrong. Uh, on the contrary, it's just not compatible spiritually. The holiness of a convert is the exact opposite of the Kohen's. It is completely earned. The convert was born, was not born Jewish. He or she chose it. They achieved Jewishness of their own initiative, through their own hard work, changing their whole lifestyle and becoming a Jew. A Kohen is a just different style. A Kohen's spiritual makeup, sort of, is that he's gifted this holiness. And therefore, they're just not compatible. At least that's one way of explaining it. And the same goes with all the other restrictions. And it, it can be extremely challenging for a uh, Kohen. And um, I just, you know, we can't change the laws. This is the law of the Torah. And we try our best to abide by this law. Source 20, a marriage, this is from a letter of the Rebbe to a Kohen, a marriage which has been prohibited by the creator and master of the universe. The fact that this may be beyond one's, one's comprehension is immaterial, unimportant. For it is certain that your creator of the world knows best what is good for his creatures and he has so strict, so strictly prohibited such a marriage. And finally, source 21 for this section, speak to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron. All of these laws about the Kohanim, it starts off with the words, 
God says to Moses, speak to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron. And he can, even before you go further, that itself is an instruction. Speak to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron. Remember who you are. You are the sons of Aaron. You are Kohanes. That itself is an important instruction. We have to remember that we, all of us, now let's talk about the Kohanes. The Kohanes are a member of a very prestigious family. Always remember who you are. As children of such a prominent father, you must conduct yourselves in a way befitting your gene- genealogy. It was this chassid of the Alter Rebbe. He would always say, whenever he was tempted to sin, me, I'm such a special man. I'm a chassid. I'm so famous. He would use it to stop himself from sin, saying, it doesn't, it's not befitting for me and my status to commit such a sin. We have to recognize who we are. Not maybe, not only because of ourselves, but because of our fathers, our mothers, who we come from. It's not befitting for us to behave contrary to the ways of the Torah. Source number 22. Let's quickly finish up our last section here. Now that we know the holiness and the restrictions of the Kohen, they also have many privileges. You shall not inherit in their land, and you shall have no portion among them. I am your inheritance and portion among the children of Israel. They did not receive a designated portion in the land of Israel, a territory like the other tribes. They did not work the land. They were gifted some cities in each of the tribe's territories, but not as a portion just for themselves. Source 23, this shall be the Kohanim's dues from the pe- due from the people. It is your wage for you in exchange for your service in the tent of meeting. There are 24 presents that are given to the priests. So how do they support themselves if they do not have their own fields to uh, grow and make do business and trade? The Kohanes, being the teachers, being the workers of the Jewish people, doing their sacrifices for them. If a Jew, any Israelite, wanted to bring a sacrifice, he would come to the temple and the Kohen would uh, handle it for him. So what was their payment? There were 24 gifts that the Torah enumerates that the Kohens received. While they were working in the temple, they would eat portions of the actual sacrifices. Depending on what kind of sacrifice it was, they had the showbread. They would eat every week. They would have uh, divide the showbread amongst them. And even when they were not actually working in the temple, there were certain gifts. The first shear of the animal, uh, a piece of the challah. When we bake challah, we sep- separate a piece that was given to the Kohen. Certain um, tithes from the from grains were given to the Kohens. There were 24. We won't, we won't go into all of them now. But one of the most famous ones, which is still practiced today, is the firstborn son, which needs to be redeemed from the Kohen. So if a mother gives birth to a baby and it's a boy, and they're not from a Kohen or Levite family, they, after 30 days, and we once studied about this a couple years ago, they need to redeem this boy from the Kohen because it's a gift to the Kohen. How do they redeem it? By giving the Kohen five silver coins. Source 24. Every first issue of the womb of any creature which they present to the Lord, whether of man or beast, shall be yours. However, you shall redeem the firstborn of man. Source 25. It is necessary to show them much honor and to give them priority for every matter of holiness. To read the Torah first, to recite the blessings first, and to take a desirable portion first. So the Kohens are always given respect, honor. When we take out the Torah, the Kohen is called up first. When it's time to do the blessings, the Kohen is honored to say the blessing first. 
and so on. And on the opposite side, source 26, it is forbidden to make use of a Kohen. And, oh, can you come schlep with me? Oh, a Kohen, we're even till today, um, we should refrain from asking them to work for us, unless they're getting paid, of course, and then it's dignified and, and they want to. But just to, you know, make them, make use of them, that is better to stay away from. And one who does so is likened to one who makes improper use of a sacred object. Imagine that. Imagine you take a mezuzah and use it as a hammer. That wouldn't be nice. This is sacred. So taking a Kohen and using them, um, that would be an issue. If Even though sacrifices are not offered in the present era, his inherent sanctity remains intact. Nevertheless, if a Kohen waves the honor due to him, one may make use of him. If, if he waves it, he has the right not to um, give up his Kohen status and marry who he wants, but he has the right to do a favor and someone says, pass the salt, he is allowed to pass the salt and forgive this honor because it's for his, this part of the honor is for his own benefit. Source 27. And this will, this lesson will conclude our, our lesson for today. That it was once contested. The status of the Kohen, the descendants of Aaron was contested. It was a story in the desert. We studied about it last week. There was a man named Korach who was a relative of Moses and Aaron. And he claimed, why is Moses taking all of the good positions and the leading positions and honorable positions for his family? He is the leader. He makes his brother Aaron the high priest. And, and other positions he gave to his close family members. Really, of course, this was all by instruction from God. But he claimed that he contested this. And without getting into all the details of the very miraculous story, here's one part. Eventually, God tells Moses to take one staff of each tribe. Each tribe should give their stick, their staff, and write their name on it. And the tribe of Levi wrote the name of Aaron. Moshe placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And on the following day, Moshe came. And behold, Aaron's staff had blossomed. It gave forth blossoms, sprouted buds, and produced ripe almonds. And that was a sign that Aaron's is the one Aaron is the one that was chosen by God to be the high priest. Why almonds? Ammons, as some people say. So apparently, this is what Rashi says, that is the fruit that blossoms quicker than other fruits. Now, I tried to figure this out, what it means, uh, almonds, that it grows fast. But I guess a certain part of the process, almonds grows really fast. And... That's why almonds were chosen. Why? Because Kohanes have a relation to being fast, to being quick. That's why the almonds was, was a fruit chosen to show that God chose the Kohanes. By Aaron's staff blossoming almonds really fast, overnight. Kohanes were very vigilant. They were very fast. They were very quick-paced, very swift in doing their service in the temple. There were sometimes, especially let's say on Pesach offering, there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jewish, Jewish people converging onto the temple and the Kohens were very swift in doing the service and managing to finish everything on time. They did not, we did not have to worry about mistakes, about errors, about forgetting. The Kohens were very, very into it. They didn't just do the job like robots. They were very involved, invested, absorbed in what they were doing. Like almonds which grow fast. 
And this is another lesson for us. Even though, even if not all of us are a Kohen. Nonetheless, all Jewish people are referred to as Kohens. God Himself at Mount Sinai, source number 28. You shall be, you shall be to me a kingdom of Kohanim. Even though not technically, but spiritually, we're all Kohens, we're all holy. And we can learn from the Kohen that our approach to our divine mission in life, just as they did when they were in the temple close to God, his service was done with lots of investments, lots of swiftness, no laziness. So our approach to our divine mission in life cannot be attempted half-heartedly. We must respond to every opportunity with alacrity. That wraps up our lesson for today. See, it went a bit overboard. We learned about a Kohen. Who is a Kohen? Direct descendant of Aaron. You can take a DNA test and see if you are a Kohen, or not if you are a Kohen, but if you are connected to the Kohen gene, which is amazing, just amazing. You can read up more about it. We now know about the duties of the Kohen, doing the service in the temple, blessing the Jewish people, which goes on till today, being the teachers, the mentors, and teaching us how to be kind. And never to say someone is impure or to belittle someone, unless we know it's coming from genuine love and care for that person. We moved on to the restrictions for the Kohen due to his high holy status, who they can marry, to stay away from impurity, which is... Until today. And finally, the gifts, the benefits, the privileges of the Kohen. Thank you for joining us for Lunch and Learn number 196. Studying Torah together, which is a mitzvah to study Torah. So, if you have any questions, you can let me know. Otherwise, have a wonderful day. You can take a moment to share this post so others can benefit from Torah teachings as well. None of this is my own. This is just this is just a collection of teachings from the Torah, from Talmud, from Midrash, from Chassidus, from Kabbalah, and just presenting it in an organized fashion so we can have a better understanding of Jewish ideas. And Jewish ideas are not just information, but they're also here to enlighten us, to inspire us, to learn from the coins.